EJ to DJ. It's 4.13. And uh, let's take a look at Motor City Traffic with JoJo in the Big 8 Traffic Central. A warm welcome to EJ the DJ on a bitter cold afternoon in Windsor and the Motor City. It's great having you in town, Elton, and especially at the Big 8. Are you having fun? I'm having a great time. Thank you. JoJo. Yeah? Are you high? Am I what? Are you high? I am high above the Lodge Freeway right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, give us and some. I, What's it like up there? I'll tell you what. Is this Cheech or is this Chong? This I can't is, tell you This what. is Chong. And this is Cheech, and we're Cheech and Chong. Greetings and salutations, and welcome to Radio Days, a podcast radio program that delves into the world of terrestrial radio. It's DJs and on-air personality, and you, all fans of radio as a medium. Here's your host, Ron. Hey, 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 hello, and welcome to Radio Days, the podcast. Today's show is produced by Ron Robinson Studios. If you need professional marketing videos, maybe you need uh, headshots, Photography, drone footage from a licensed drone pilot, head over to ronrobinsonstudios.com. While you're there, you can also hear previous episodes of Radio Days the Podcast. Dick Purton, Chuck Santoni, John O'Leary, Karen D'Alessandro, just to name a few. Also, check out our new online merch store. Get your Radio Days the Podcast hat, shirts, and other merch all at ronrobinsonstudios.com. Also, uh, our documentary that uh, you've been hearing so much about, about the history of terrestrial radio. Radio Days, 101 Years of Radio is coming very, very soon. Um, If you are or have ever been a fan of radio, you're going to love this movie. Also, if you'd like to help out and become a producer for the film, click on the Patreon or PayPal links at ronrobinsonstudios.com. My guest today, i got to tell you, I'm so excited about uh, today's guest. She is a Detroit radio icon. She's a traffic reporter. Um, In fact, traffic reporters today call her the GOAT. She's no stranger to the spotlight. She's been heard on CKLW, WWJ, WJR, WOMC, and WLLZ, just to name a few. Quite a resume. And, oh, yeah, she's the equal half of the late, great Byron McGregor. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the one and only JoJo Shuddy McGregor. Thanks so much for having me, Ron. So, so there's a lot to cover today, so let me jump right into it. What were you listening to on the radio when you were growing up? Listening to my mother and sh- she, dad was at work probably, and she had the radio on, but she loved music. She was a piano player. She couldn't understand why my sister and I just didn't play naturally. And we had other talents, but um, no, it was mom and my sister, because I had an older sister, and she, um, she was listening, but we were busy kids, so I'd have to really go forward. We were in baton twirling competition. We had a practice. Um, I remember listening to records because half the time we performed to something. But we weren't literally locked down listening to the radio. And I would say until I got to Michigan State, I was listening to records more than the radio, even in junior high, you know, at a school dance or at somebody's party in the basement we were listening to records and trying to get the guys to dance with us as they stood against the wall don't they probably still do that right nothing new there and so i would say as far as a radio station it took me almost uh oh i listened to football games at michigan state my alma mater and the radio coming going up to east lansing with my parents but it was never my choice until I actually got into broadcasting, and my broadcast roots are deep in radio and television, obviously. Um, 
after, after college is when I would really say I could listen to the radio because my first job out of Michigan State was at WWJ AM, FM, TV, and the Detroit News. That's how long ago that was. You know, one of the topics I cover in my movie, JoJo, is which station was first, KDKA in Pittsburgh or WWJ in Detroit. Uh, it's an issue that's uh, been debated for many, many years. What's your take on it? My vote goes to WWJ because not only did I work at WWJ after I got out of college, but Byron ended up leaving CKLW to start all news radio at WWJ News Radio 950. And then I come back and I work and I do the traffic later on as we fast forward even further. So I'm going to say WWJ. And when I was there, it was news talk. We had people on the air like Bob Allison. Of course, Bob Allison transcended how many generations. He was still on the air as recent as last year when we lost him. And so you'd listen to recipes that were on there. I was doing promotion and marketing. I wasn't on the air yet. And these were the days of Sonny Elliott, George Perot. There were talk shows. There was a sports cast with uh, Norm Plummer. The, these were names that, and the people on the air were Dwayne X. Riley doing radio news, and he became very good friends with uh, both Byron and myself, and, and then he went on to TV. And so my first opportunity to really listen to music on the radio, so we'll just define it as that, would have been once I got over to CKLW, and I had a really, and Byron hired me from WWJ in secretive. If you could have seen Wonder Woman at the time, You've seen some of my pictures and how I had a CKLW patch on my blazer and I'm dressed all in white. I look like I'm, I'm a good Wonder Woman, not the bad. I wasn't dressed in black or anything. And I had to get dressed in a telephone booth at the time that they had in the lobby of WWJ, which was a very old building in downtown Detroit. I had to put my stuff there and there was a very tiny bathroom about the size of that telephone booth. And I jumped into my outfit because I was leaving the station. Nobody knew I was leaving WWJ and going over to this station across the border, CKLW. And I... Uh, jumped into my car and one person from the station saw me get into my car out in front of the building as I headed over to Windsor. Dressed and ready, we were gonna do our first publicity shots before they made the big announcement. So from that point forward, um, I went over to CKLW and the rest really became history, you know that. When you were working for WWJ, it wasn't lost on you uh, how historic that radio station was. Oh, for sure, we celebrated the anniversaries. I can remember wearing a Roaring Twenties outfit. <laughs> Had to be the 50th, right? <laughs> I'm not that old. So it was probably the 50th. Well, I, it was there in the 70s. Um, and it was, uh, oh, shoot. I mean, they were doing things that were very innovative. They were taking their disc jockeys and their newspaper out to Boblo on the Boblo boat and getting them out and about. And then we did celebrate the 50th anniversary, and it was a big to-do. Don F. DeGroote was the general manager at the time, and all the powers that be with the uh, evening news, the Scripps people, uh, they were all in for it. And yeah, we knew the historic value of it. I mean, I'd read about it in college in one of my classes, and uh, if I hadn't been working first, I could have aced instead of gotten an A- maybe in that historic class. Now, JoJo, this is a question I've had for a long time. What is What drew you to pursue a career in radio to begin with? People like to say because you're just the voice. 
and people don't see you and and you can you can stay out of the public eye and do your thing well unfortunately my second foray after college and WWJ put me so out there and up there so my first job on the air was in the air and yeah I'd been on the college radio station and all of that in East Lansing but to make such a big uh, promotional to do about something so unique was remarkable at the time and so my radio roots are in CKLW because I became the first female helicopter traffic and news reporter in North America it hadn't been done by a woman before so of course I became a trailblazer you know we talk about first now right and left we're still getting first for women to do things but being a veteran I became a role model all this a, a legend an icon a household name all those things that people throw at you and a mentor and all of that ah, you just don't realize that's happening while you do it I was so excited I have never flown in a helicopter before and to tell you the story of how I got hired my I got a phone call from an agent in Detroit and I was working at Channel 4 and promotion and public service and all of that and they said uh, they're looking for somebody to do weather in Detroit and the interviews are this afternoon and I thought oh god I've got a really big meeting I'll have to call my sister she was in town and trying to make her break into broadcasting at the same time she was just a few years ahead of me and so I shattered shadowed her most of the time but she uh, she was home and I called her and I said Sharon you've got to go for this interview I can't make it I didn't realize it was gonna be the last day of the interviews I've got a big meeting after work and she said okay so as any big sister would do my only big sister and only sister she calls back and she says you know what Jojo mom and dad think you need to go and me think that you need to go down to that interview too and I said okay well where is it I'll try to go after my meeting and uh, maybe we can meet up afterward so we both headed over to CKLW radio in Windsor Sharon was the second to the last person interviewed as she was going out the door I am coming in the door and we aren't acknowledging each other but Byron is walking her out Byron McGregor being my my boss to be and someday my husband to be so she's walking out I'm walking in and he says to me did you just do you know that girl that just walked out of here and I went oh yeah that's my sister Sharon okay we fast forward the first thing Byron asked me was Jojo hmm, that's an interesting name what's your real name I said it's Jojo I was the second of two daughters I was supposed to be a boy also and I got named after my dad Joe Shuddy and they didn't want to name me Joanne or Joe Ellen or anything like that because it would get shortened down to just Joe so they decided on Joe Joe so on my birth certificate and my baptismal certificate I've got capital J O hyphen capital J O it's not a nickname it's my real name I even got baptized St. Joe Joe's after St. Joseph but so I should have asked Byron at that very moment so Byron what's your real name I never knew I met Byron as Byron I never knew he was Gary Mack Gary Lachlan Mack proud of his name but when he got to see KLW when he was like 17 or 18 there was a Gary Mack a Billy Mack on the air and a Gary Mitchell and Paul Drew said to him you know what son you got to change your name both of them most uh, DJs or newsmen maybe change one or 
first or last. He changed both, so I never knew I was meeting Gary Mack at that point. So from that point forward, I called him Byron, and his family knew him as Gary, and that's how that went. And you know, Byron's family, I've got some broadcasting uh, blood in me, or performing arts for that matter, with my older sister, but Byron's father was the J.P. McCarthy of Calgary. He had a program called Toast and Marmalade. And uh, <laughs> Byron got to work at CFAC Radio and TV in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Byron was Canadian. And his brother became a news anchor after his big brother. So we've got all the bases covered. I, four, four or five people in two families is just a bit much in terms of being in, in broadcasting. But what I really loved about my job, which happened to be the first one I'm experiencing now, think about it, is being able to help people out. I wasn't your traditional disc jockey. I wasn't your talk show host. I wasn't the traditional newsman or sportscaster or weathercaster. I now am doing traffic and it's high profile and everybody's counting on me and it's a public service. So as I'm able to do my news reports, which ended up my traffic reports, which ended up as news reports, I may be talking about something really tragic, a horrible accident, something bad for the driver that they have to avoid but I'm also helping them out, so I get to solve their problem as best as I can. If you do a negative news story, of course you can't, but there I am trying to be their, their person to get them out of that traffic jam and to keep the Motor City moving, as it were. Talk about some of the cool things that you've gotten to do because of your career in radio. So many good things. So many opportunities were sent my way uh, because of the nature of the radio station. Let's just start there. CKLW, 50,000-watt powerhouse, top 40 station, located in Windsor, but blasting into 28 states and six Canadian provinces. Did I really concentrate on that when I got on the air? No. Byron, after he's interviewing me for the job, says, have you ever flown in a helicopter before? No. And and so it was. I ended up getting the job. There were 150 people that went through it. I met my sister after the interview to go back to the interview with Byron, and I said, Sharon, you're not working right now. I hope you get the job. But boy, I'd like to see him again, meaning Byron. <laughs> and as it turned out, it worked out fine. Sharon ended up moving out to Boston, and Sharon has been the one in the family that has had to work in several markets, radio and television, Boston, Denver, Chicago. Me, I was fortunate one. I was able to keep my whole broadcasting career in the state of Michigan. And that's remarkable and unheard of. Everybody becomes a vagabond, it seems. But the opportunities came from CKLW, the kind of station it was, and what it attracted. So there I could be flying in the morning, and I would not know who Gary Burbank had on the show that morning. And there you have, it didn't matter who it was. It could be Cheech and Chong. I know you know that story. And I became famous for that one because as only um, Tommy Chong, who I didn't know who T Cheech or Chong were at the time, is you know teasing me and Gary Burbank's teasing me and teasing me about Byron. But Tommy Chong's famous last line, only to be outdone by mine, I thought, he says, Jojo, are you high? And so I said, yeah, I'm high above the Lodge Freeway. <laughs> and, totally went over my head, had no clue what he was talking about, to be perfectly honest. 
And as a matter of fact, Herb McCord, when I got hired, Herb McCord was the general manager and station manager of CKLW. And it was Byron who had the brilliant idea to do traffic at CKLW. Just add to the excitement of the music, the news, the sound that CKLW, the power it had. And Herb said, okay, Byron, you interview the person that you want to select. We'll get things going and select the helicopter company, get all of that lined up, get the sales staff going on sponsors, because it was going to be a very expensive proposition. Think about it. I flew, I flew for four hours in the morning, morning drive, and two and a half in the afternoon. Could have flown to LA and back probably each day. I was juggling a lot. I was not only on the air for CKLW AM, talking to that disc jockey, of course, morning or afternoon drive. It was Gary Burbank. It was Tom Shannon in the morning. It was Brother Bill Gable. It could be Ted Richards, Supermax, those were my guys at the time. And of course, it, it really, really depended on, as I switched out from that, I also had to do traffic for Windsor on FM 94 Country, CKLW's country station at the time. So <laughs> I'd bounce off from that, get back on cue for, and, but you know what was really exciting? I got to thinking about this as I was thinking about our interview. Who else gets to sit there flying through the beautiful skies in all kinds of weather, <laughs> in Michigan, of course, and over my hometown, because I'm a native Detroiter, born and raised here, and to be able to listen to the music that was being played, pumped into my little head at that time. I had a headset, of course, that didn't stop because to keep the sound out, have my microphone, it was heavy duty. And to be listening to that music, and then waiting for my cue. I mean, I'm, I'm like working to the music, right? <laughs> I couldn't get up and dance in the chopper or anything, but so many memories of who those people were. So it didn't matter if it was Cheech and Chong who had their rendition of a, a record that was a spoken word record at the time. It could be Elton John. And then Elton John became EJ the DJ in Afternoon Drive. And he's introducing me to go on the air with my traffic report. By that point, I knew who Elton John was. I knew where he was going. And to hear his voice, we both sound like we're, I sound like I'm about 10, he sounded like he was about 13. And he's introing me and I go, my first statement to Elton John is, welcome to the Motor City, Elton. Are you having fun yet? <laughs> and then he introduces me to do the traffic. But it didn't matter who it was. It could be Alice Cooper, it could be uh, the Guess Who. They were usually not known to me beforehand. And so I was always surprised by them being uh, there in the studio and, and talking with them. And then to meet them afterward, of course, that become precious time for me. So I had a, a wonderful career, no matter how challenging it was in terms of keeping it all together up there, stopwatches that had to be 30 seconds. I had sponsors. I mean, it was every bank in Metro Detroit. Our sales team was incredible. We had, may have had a 22-man news department and one female, but our sales department was top of the top of the heap in terms of getting that sold. Here's more of a Byron question, but I'll ask you, why is news and radio a great marriage? Let's just talk about radio, but radio news. To stay informed. We do it today. We have power outages yet. Do you have your transistor radio? Of course. Now we've got a transistor radio and we've got a CD player in it, and we've got a cassette player in it, and DVD player. No, seriously, you, you can't really pretend that radio's gonna go away. 
if we don't keep radio handy, where will we be in times of need? And we've all been there and had power outages. Remember the one that came from the East Coast and hit us here in Michigan? I mean, think about that one in particular. And I was already working at AAA for their broadcast news network by that point. That's not, that was after 9-11, but of course the first thoughts were 9-11. My sister was in town from her TV station in Chicago. No power at my mom and dad's house in West Bloomfield. She needed to get to downtown Detroit to get to the NBC affiliate there to do a report. She's dressing in the dark. I get her downtown. I'm coming up the Southfield Freeway, taking her down the Lodge Freeway. It's in the dark. You, don't, you can't even see the traffic signs to get into downtown Detroit. But, and we had no radio on the car. If we had a transistor, we would have put that in the car. But you've got to have that on hand. People will say to me right now, what do you think of, where's radio headed? If it doesn't stay local in some way, shape, or form, I know we have syndicated shows. That has been brought into, we, we've got podcasts. We've got it all. But the biggest pet peeve is when somebody hears somebody. You know this as well as I do. If somebody mispronounces a word in a newscast, how about a street? They're going to be just uh, crazed that they don't have somebody local giving them their news and their, their traffic and their weather. And we were that and a, and a cup of tea. At CKLW, they had the greatest news sound. 2020 News, you couldn't beat it. You couldn't tune out from it. Here with 2020 News is Byron McGregor. They're going to be back at it again later this morning with more optimism since the beginning of the strike by the UAW strike against Ford. We get an update from the Big H, Randall Carlisle. For, for me, JoJo, what, what made the news so spectacular on CKLW was the 2020 News. It sounded so big. Uh, it made Detroit sound like Gotham City. I'll steal that line from Mike Halloran. Could you talk about where Byron came up with the 2020 news? I wish I was around when he came up with it. See, I didn't know Byron then. Byron started at CKLW at a tender age of 19, 18 actually, and came into town right after the Detroit riots. He had worked in Calgary at his dad's radio station. He worked in Yorkton, Saskatchewan and in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and he was coming to Windsor to get a job to eventually end up in Toronto. Little did he know the Detroit-Windsor connection, or make that the Windsor-Detroit connection. So he came to CKLW and never left. He started on the air right after the Detroit riots, had no clue what was going on, but he did end up voicing a Edward R. Murrow award winner uh, documentary that they did immediately after he got into town. They put together all the news pieces that CKLW was able to do at the time. Now it wasn't quite 2020 news yet and he was able to to get indoctrinated pretty quickly and he was the youngest news director probably anywhere on the planet at 19 when he took over and he was the one that had the idea to keep up with to not be a tune out, let's just face it. Let's give some, let's get, give some punch to it. And at Byron's funeral, I'll mention Jim Johnson again, JJ and the morning crew, they were both there to do part of the eulogy. <laughs> and JJ said, if the news was black and white, Byron added the color. Now, doesn't that really do it for you? It paints the picture and that's what Byron wanted the guys. They had their alliteration. They could write. They were outwriting each other, outdoing each other. It was a team effort. 
but they were actually just trying to do their best to keep everyone informed. And what I was really proud of was also to hear from the Michigan State Police, but the City of Detroit Police, the Windsor Police, Ike McKinnon was at Byron's funeral. He said to me, Jojo, we knew they were doing the right news. He said, my guys were listening. He said they weren't always going after <laughs> the CKLW tip of the day, but he said sometimes they'd be out somewhere and then they'd get a chance to call in. But seriously, it was considered a very, very good news source. And for the young crowd that was, you were trying to indoctrinate to listen to the news, you do have to be informed. You just can't go through life blindly. And you do have to keep tabs on it, no matter if you're listening on, you know, earbuds today or back then on your transistor radio. So I was proud to say I was part of that news staff afterward. And we all knew Paul Drew. He was at our wedding. <laughs> I didn't know the real Paul Drew, but he was the one that Byron became really... Um, uh, comfortable with and he never got one of those calls I don't think in the middle of the night that said you weren't doing this quite right but he was doing his thing they just had a wonderful staff going and I just think the idea that Byron came up with was pretty brilliant not only to do what he was doing in terms of the writing and painting that picture whether it was Coleman Young he just didn't talk about Mayor Coleman Young he was sitting in a thick black leather chair and announcing something. So, and then there were the people that thought he was talking about a fire in McGregor and he was just trying to sign off. This is Byron McGregor. <laughs> so we laughed to that. And too bad we lost Byron so young. Uh, I, he mentored people along the way. So never fear that what you do to help someone out when you're young, in between, older, that's going to come back to haunt you someday somehow because you're trying to get them into the business and help them out and you're doing it un unwittingly and unknowingly and uh, after byron died one of the guys who's a newscaster at wjr his mom wrote me a letter she said you'll never know how much byron meant to my son because he was his mentor and i'm thinking Wow, Byron was only 45 when we lost him. Let's talk about Byron for a minute, because if you could put a picture in the dictionary of news reporter, it would be Byron's mug right there, right? That's the kind of thing you want to be when you grow up. You want to be somebody. And if Byron were here today, he'd be the same same Byron. He had a twinkle in his eye when he did the news, I'm sure, and no matter where he was doing the news. And he was the first news anchor once he left CKLW as a great newsman then, at that point, he went to create all news radio in Detroit at WWJ, News Radio 950. And, and coming from CKLW, from that crop of newsmen, were Joe Donovan, uh, Grant Hudson, Don Patrick, uh, I'm probably forgetting, but Byron. Byron was the big fish that was going to come across and start doing 2020 news, but he was going to do it toned out a bit and still give it brilliance in terms of keeping people listening. And he also was able to do TV. He was the first one to do radio anchoring, news anchoring, and TV news anchoring at uh, Channel 50, TV 50 news scene. Now I want to go back a little bit. When Byron uh, hired you to do traffic reporting from a helicopter, was he trying to, to get a leg up on stations like the J or WJR? And part two, did you ever have any close calls when you were up in the helicopter? I don't think he was thinking about them. But there's a headline that says Morning Drive's got some new rivalry. And you and I have seen those headlines uh, for me. It talks about now with CKLW putting up the chopper, 
with just me and the chopper. That was going to be competition for J.P. McCarthy at WJR, for Dick Purton at WXYZ, and for Dino Day <laughs> and, and, the, and uh, WCXI at the time. So did we take away from them? Not really, but you want to hear something funny and cute at the same time? Of course my dad was listening. Of course my mother was listening. My dad would drive down the Southfield Lodge Freeway to the Southfield Freeway. He worked at the Ford Motor Company in Dearborn. And he'd be listening in good times and bad when we had something go wrong with the chopper. He was the first one and we didn't have cell phones to call and see if I was okay. He had to listen. <laughs> and one time Gary Burbank, we went in for a crash landing at the Chrysler plant. We had a fan belt go. And Gary just decides to say, well, we've lost JoJo. Hopefully she hasn't crashed. <laughs> and my dad drives off the freeway, gets in touch with the station. What do you mean? <laughs> what are we talking about here? From that day forward, Gary was not to play around with me while I was on the air because that was serious stuff. We're doing a public ser service here. He didn't tangle with the news either. He got us afterward really well and did it all the time. But he was also told, don't play around with the traffic reports. People are counting on JoJo, counting on this station. But my dad was also proud to get to work and say, I was listening to JoJo on the way in this morning. Well, maybe his friends were listening to JP or Dick. Um, he had golfing friends. He had golfing buddies that, and this is what's funny, people of all ages were listening to us. You can get someone to say, ah, we didn't listen to CKLW. We were listening to news or talk, the talk stations. And then they can remember the traffic tie-up I got them out of. So. There was a reason for me being on the air and in the air. I was really, I did have a bird's eye view of what was happening. I wasn't just reading off some script somewhere or some page. People will say, well, why don't we just use, yeah, but my tips that were coming in, they were up to the second, up to the minute. And I would fly there. I would, I'd be right there on the spot looking at it, describing it. You can try to do that through the jam cams, quote unquote. Not the same thing. You're hearing me say it. And then I can actually quote people that, you know, Tipster Tom just called in. And I was getting my communication with the police through the station. I would have to call into the station on the two-way, and they would have to give the information back to me. So that's why I'm saying it was, a, it was orchestrated very well in that I was able to keep track of all the reports. I had at least uh, four to six an hour, because they were not only in the newscast, they were free reign and roaming in the, in the talk show or the, the music show that Gary was part of or Brother Bill Gable in the afternoon. As you discussed, Byron hired you and would later become your husband. What was it like being married to your boss? Sure. And we mustn't forget that he was my boss. And so if anybody thought anything was going on, and it wasn't, Gary would just tease us on the air. So let's start with, I meet Byron. I become that person. I've got a job to do. I'm also in and out of the Southfield sales office that CKLW had and in and out of the station in, in uh, Windsor. And as Herb McCord would say, she crossed the border so many times, they would ask me, what's she really like, Herb? And he'd say he was going over to the CKLW sales office and he'd say, oh, she's just perfect for the job. She doesn't smoke, drink, or do anything. And I'm thinking, to, the, to, to this day I've said to Herb, Herb, I do do things. <laughs> so anyway, it was a perfect marriage. It just worked out that way. I had the personality for it. If there was anything worse, when you're trying to prove that something is going to work, you're putting up a traffic watch, you're in a helicopter, you've got to worry about the weather, 
You've got to have it just right so you sell this thing properly and you don't have the person whose name is attached to it now not there. I was there and thick and thin. So it was slow but sure that we surprised Gary Burbank when we decided to tell him that we were, we were an item, you just weren't doing this to us and it wasn't a soap opera. Uh, we are engaged. <laughs> he just said, I don't believe I did that to you. And he did. And you know, one of our listeners, you talk about who was listening to us, Ansel Ford II was driving from his home in Gross Point to the Wixom plant. Ford plant in Wixom, and he got to listen to CKLW in that morning show. One day he called Byron uh, before we were married and before he realized that we were a Ford family with my dad's history with the Ford Motor Company. And he said, um, Ansel Ford II has called. He wants, to, he wants to go to lunch with the morning crew. Anybody available? So Gary Burbank said yes. Randall Carlisle went. Byron didn't. I said, Yes, I certainly would. The only thing I wanted to say was, can I bring my daddy along? Because at this point, he hadn't met Henry Ford II or Edsel Ford II. And from that day forward, we became really good friends with Edsel and Cynthia. He was in our wedding party. <laughs> and he dared us to get married. He said, Byron, if you get married, I'll come from wherever I'm stationed to come back and be in your wedding. And they did. And then he was there as an honorary pallbearer at Byron's funeral. So. Good, good vibrations from people that were listening, friends, uh, family, that kind of thing. I don't think Byron, I will go back just a bit, I do not think Byron or the station, anyone was really worried about, in particular, the people at the stations, they were going to do the best and continue to do the best and capture what they needed to capture. Now, I don't think we could do this show without talking about Byron's recording of the Americans. Could you talk about that? I had heard that and seen it once on TV. Walter Cronkite was doing a feature on Byron. I did not know him at the time. Did not realize I was being interviewed by Byron McGregor, that Byron McGregor, because it happened just before I started at CKLW. So it was very unique that the station turned it into a hit. It was a spoken word record Gordon Sinclair, who was a Toronto journalist, had written it. It talked about how great America is and how they've helped everyone out, including Canada at the time, and how the Red Cross, the American Red Cross, was in debt. And Byron read that editorial. He was Canadian He read at the time. And he read that. He believed in the words of that, doc, uh, that editorial. And he decided to read it as part of a public affairs program, just the words to it. And he had the music bed of a Bridge Over Troubled Water. And he read it during a public affairs program called Canada Now. And it ran in the middle of the night. It was a half hour program on a weekend. And the switchboard literally lit up and blew out because of the phone calls, people wanting to get a hold of the record. It wasn't a record. So Byron, in his infinite wisdom, got a call in the middle of the night and he said, it's not a record, it's not anywhere, just play that half hour show again. <laughs> Get more credit for the public affairs program. Well, by this point, Armin Baladian at Westbound Records was listening in the U.S. over in Detroit. And he decided that that, whatever it was, needed to be recorded and turned into a record. And so that's how it began. It ended up selling three and a half million copies of the first $100,000. At that time, Byron was able to hand, hand that check over to the American Red Cross. And 
it's been played ever since. And to this day, I'm the one that is now responsible since Byron is gone. And since I was born on Flag Day, how much better could it have been a Canadian and American? I'm born on Flag Day. He does the Americans. It's an international alliance. <laughs> you couldn't have written it any better. But Byron did become a U.S. citizen in 1987. He got a chance to introduce Ronald Reagan at a swearing-in ceremony. After he became a U.S. citizen, he was so excited to just emcee the event and he had just become a U.S. citizen himself. So his first words is before he inter introduced President Reagan, he said, never did I believe a kid from Calgary was going to be standing on a stage and introducing the President of the United States as an American citizen. So that will go on forever. I haven't had an opportunity to play it recently. Times are really tough when people are dealing with uh, pandemics and things like that. But if you think about all of the times people have reached out, after 9-11, Byron was gone. This was my first opportunity and privilege to represent the Americans by myself. So every word he ever mentioned that was said in front of me, I was able to translate that by being able to represent it. It started being played again. So it went from a 45 record to an album to a cassette, oh, how about an eight-track cartridge, and to a CD and a DVD. So, I mean, it. how many years? 1973, it hit the top of the charts in 1974, January or February of 1974. And you know what his thrill probably had to be? Not only all the talk shows that Byron was on and the morning shows, but he was on the Midnight Special with Wolfman Jack. But if you can imagine that music show and Byron doing a spoken word, very, very serious rendition of the Americans. And he walked away from that saying, did you see, this is afterward when we, we would look at the tape. He'd say, did you see that group Redbone coming? <laughs> and I'm going, yeah, the Native American group Redbone that did come and get your love, babe. And I'm thinking that's what he walked away from that experience, remembering that moment. So he had a lot of great experiences. And of course, I was able to share them after the two of us got married. I want to switch gears here a little bit because I want to talk about somebody that was a competitor to Byron. But uh, this name is so historic in the city of Detroit. Could you talk to me about J.P. McCarthy? He was real. He was. He talked to people. He was just as much an out there personality as anyone. He loved to entertain and once you become a personality I'll just call all of us personalities whether you do news traffic sports DJ engineer whatever if somebody starts to know you you've got an audience that's very very faithful to you it's hard to pull them away you might get them to tune out listen to a traffic report maybe go back to JP or Dick but once they know you you become part of the soundtrack of their lives. Anybody like J.P. or Dick Purton or anyone from any day, any time, uh, radio or TV, newspaper, if they know you, you've got a following and you are there for them and you become a part of their lives. It's like sometimes before their first cup of coffee, you're trying to wake them up. Uh, Byron used to say, it's tough waking up the rest of the world when you're, you're waking up yourself in the morning. And that's what Morning Drive does to you. All right, now I'm going to give you a magic wand, JoJo. What would you do with radio today 
to make it as relevant as it was when you were on the air? I'd take Big 8 Radio off the internet and I would program it like CKLW because everybody asks us, why can't we do it now? Why can't we get some of the jocks to do what you guys did then? Do the traffic. We go to a benefit for Children's Hospital. It's a CKLW tribute party. They're playing the jingles. They're playing the music. People are dancing. So, okay, why do we leave all the fun for anybody that might be over 60 and remember the past? Um, give young kids a chance to listen to the news like it needs to be listened to. Give them a traffic update. Now, on this show, I, I, I a lot of times will ask people, what's the coolest thing you've got to do because of your, your job? I want to ask you about something specifically. Um, you got to appear on an episode of the TV show Barnaby Jones with Buddy Epson. What a trip that was. Byron got to go with me. And here's the best part of it all. Two things happened. Byron and Buddy Epson got to spend the most time together in his trailer because my scenes were with Vera Miles. And the name of my episode, which is now on everywhere, especially during... You know, everything is coming back. He's watching every Charlie's Angels. It doesn't matter. Uh, but uh, Barnaby Jones, I get a residual from my bit part, <laughs> um, roughly a dollar ninety-eight or so for each episode when it's played in an airplane or on uh, secondary stations. Doesn't matter, does it? But Byron got to spend most of the time with Buddy in his trailer, and it was World Series time, so they had the radio on and they were listening to the World Series. Can't tell you who was playing. And then Byron asked him about being a hoofer, a tap dancer, right, in his life. Because that was a whole nother side of him. Forget Beverly Hillbillies and Barnaby Jones and everything else he did. I got to interview Buddy, and that was a pleasure out there in California as part of my, my trip out there. I was at Channel 2 at the time, and then they ran it on CBS because Channel 2 in Detroit was a CBS station. But Byron got the real interview because he asked him about the tap dancing part, right? Next thing I know, we come back from California and Byron has decided to get his tap shoes and he was gonna take tap dancing lessons. He went to a tap dancing school just down the street from us in West Bloomfield and joined one of the classes. And they were young kids and teenagers and even some adults. And sure enough, when he was on the air with, I think it was, Probably J.J. and the morning crew, one St. Patrick's Day, Byron not only tap danced, he wore his Scottish McGregor kilt. So if that wasn't a party and a half, who needed to be drinking if you had Byron tap dancing in his McGregor kilt? Now, going back even farther, this is another thing that I think is cool. You got to meet Howdy Doody, didn't you? I got to meet Howdy Doody and Buffalo Bob in the lobby. And Byron coming from Canada, I am just stunned to see them walking down the hallway. And I turn around to Byron and I say, Byron, it's Howdy Doody. He looks at me like I've seen a ghost. Not the real Howdy Doody being carried lovingly by Buffalo Bob. And I tell him, run back to the room where we need to get the camera. <laughs> and he's still going, who's Howdy Doody? And I said, you don't know who Howdy Doody is? I had Sharon, my sister and I had Princess Summerfall, Winter Spring. Some people had Clarabelle. I mean, it didn't matter whoever the, the people were. So we got a picture at that point, and Byron said, you know, I don't think we had Howdy Doody in Canada yet. We were a little bit behind <laughs> America. So that's what's great about America. JoJo, thank you so much for doing this. Much appreciated. I thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and thank you for tuning in for Radio Days, the podcast. And of course, keep an eye out for Radio Days, the movie coming later this year. 
Again, if you'd like to help out and become a producer for this movie, click on the heart at the top of the page on Buzzsprout, but you can also do so at ronrobinsonstudios.com. Today's show is produced by Ron Robinson Studios. If you need professional marketing videos or professional photography, maybe you need drone video, head over to ronrobinsonstudios.com. Tune in next week. We'll have another episode of Radio Days, the podcast. Until then. You can't go. All the plants are going to die. Westbound conditions are really crowded this morning with slow to stop and go speeds from Cadu Road all the way to the Van Dyke and the Mount Elliott exits. If you're smart, you might want to take Gratiot or Jefferson in this morning. Headed in on the eastbound floor, traffic is starting to heavy up east of Michigan Avenue. The speeds are near maximum and steady all the way to the interchanges right downtown. Traffic on the southbound lodge has slowed down to its usual stop and go pace through the Davidson interchange and it's beginning to back up from that point. That's it for the moment. This is JoJo in the Big A Traffic Copter.